Welcome one more time to this week's episode of Value Nigeria Podcast. It's a pleasure to bring another episode to you. Um, how has the week been? Um, we made a conscious decision to bring guests onto the show um, every time. And that's just so that we can get another perspective of how finance and how that world works. And it wouldn't just be me speaking all the time. Um, in that same vein, we have a guest, someone I'm privileged to bring onto the show today. Um, my guest today is a finance professional with over 30 years of experience in various sectors, spanning from banking to oil and gas and consulting. My guest today is presently the MD and CEO of Threshold of Trust Nigeria Limited, which is a company that provides financial and business advisory services to clients. Um, she is also the executive director and co-founder of Rehoboth's Dream Solid Foundation, which is actually a foundation focused on promoting sustainable education, mentoring, and skill acquisition to the less privileged in order to give them a better footing towards economic empowerment. My guest is qualified on so many fronts. Uh, she is a certified financial education instructor. She is also a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Bankers of Nigeria. And she's a fellow of the Institute of Chartered Accountants of Nigeria, which is ICANN. She's an associate of Wimbies, which is a, a gathering of women in business where they rub minds and, you know, build each other up. Uh, my guest today is very passionate to help people achieve financial freedom and to grow their wealth. Uh, this passion has led to the creation of a platform called Finance Coach BK. Uh, which is the a brand that she uses even in educating and to offer financial literacy support to individuals to help them grow their wealth and to attain financial freedom. My guest today is married and she has three children and she is privileged to be the first female guest I will have on the show. I was looking forward to who will be the first female to break the jinx and I'm glad it's no other person. <laughs> it's no other person than Mrs. Abimbola Komolafe. It's a pleasure to have you on the show this evening, ma. You just want to say hello to listeners of the podcast. Yes, hello everyone. And um, I'm very happy to be with you today. I'm also excited that uh, I'm the first uh, female, like you say, to be on the show. It's That's a, a fun one. Yes, it, it's something that has bothered me for a while. Somebody brought it to my attention that we've had quite a lot of male guests and we've never had a female guest. And I said, okay, I'm working on it. And um, I, I, I'm glad it's you. I, I don't think there's anybody more qualified to come on and to have that honors than you this evening, Ma. Thank you so much. I'm privileged. I'm excited. <laughs> Let's get talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so basically, yeah, a person that is very passionate about education, about the basics, the basic building blocks of wealth building. And I hope we are able to major quite a lot on that this um, evening. Um, we've mentioned a few things about your background, with the, the professional background, the places you've worked, your experience. I'm just hoping to glean a little bit from your personal background, if you don't mind sharing, Ma. Um, what was growing up like for you? And at what point did you realize that um, you are made for more, like you are going to live beyond the ordinary life? Thank you very much. I'm the first of four uh, daughters, and 
I was born to a policeman father. I'm sure you know what that means. So I was brought up uh, by very strict parents. My mother also, um, before she retired, was a teacher. So the combination of a policeman father and a school teacher mother means that I was brought up under very strict um, conditions. Um, and also the fact that I'm the first of four daughters made it, um, I would say, mandatory for me to push myself beyond um, uh, the normal. Uh, my father made it um, made us understand that um, there wasn't anything different in spite of that we were female. So we were not going to um, have any special favors or whatever. So we all had to prove ourselves, whether you were, you know, a daughter or a son. Uh, I used to tease my, you know, my younger ones that the only thing I didn't wash in order to prove to my father that he wasn't missing anything out of um, mm. not having a son was the police official vehicles. So I, I would wear shorts very early. In the mornings, you know, when we're growing up, you know, the young guys in their father's homes who wash their father's cars. Yes. I wanted to make sure that uh, my parents didn't miss out not having a boy. So, indeed, I think that also made me very competitive from a very early age. Um, but um, I had, uh, I would say I had a very exciting upbringing. I'm very proud of my parents. I'm very proud of my father, even though he died uh, 11 years ago. But he did a good job, and I'm very happy. Um, he he certainly has left his mark. Um, thank you very much for sharing that, and um, my deep condolences on the passing of your dad. It's a long while ago, but definitely, um, I'm sure the scar will definitely remain forever. Uh, we 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 thrive on the legacy that he left behind every day. Um, I'm always um, very happy when I think of him. Um, thinking about parenting. Um, thinking about that foundation that you had, um, how are you consciously working towards passing or handing this down as well? Uh, these lessons that you've learned, these experiences that you've learned, how are you consciously passing it down to the next generation? That's a very, very interesting uh, question. Yeah, it's very interesting because sometimes I feel, um, I mean, looking back, I think I feel a lot of compassion for my children because... Um, you know, the generation that they were born into is different from the upbringing that I had. So whilst we would um, speak to our parents and say ma and sa, you know, to, to dad, we knew deeply that, you know, the love was, um, was there. It was just the generation and how we were taught to respect and show them courtesy. Um, my children, you know, I've explained my background to you, and I'm married to... Um, a retired military man. So they also have the the military effect in their upbringing. My husband is a retired admiral. So a combination of that and then the Christian upbringing that I brought to. So I think that my children, I was a little bit hard on my children is what I would say. <laughs> but uh, so, um, but talking about values, um, my son, I have one son and I have two daughters. My son continues to tell me in conversations, even up to last week, that mama, you did a good job. Don't worry, no matter how far away we are from home, uh, he's the middle child. We'll say my younger sister and I, we won't make any mistake. Uh, the older one, there won't be any mistake. Just take it, mama, that the values that you put into us, that you did a good job. And that's always so consoling, okay? So when I look back and I think, oh, I've been too hard on these children, 
should have been more Libra, yes. Uh, you know, to children born, you know, to two pastors, their teenage age, they were reined in and all of that. I look back and uh, when I have my conversations with them, when I look at my older daughter, I'm grateful to God. It's a privilege. I'm, I'm grateful to God. It wasn't all smooth, but I'm grateful to God for how my children have turned out. So if you say the values that my parents um, put into my sisters and I, we are doing a good job putting in, you know, into the ones uh, after us. Because I see my nieces and my nephews also, and I'm also so proud of what my sisters are doing with their children. Well, thank you very, very much. You don't know how much of an encouragement um, your testimony is giving me personally. Um, my daughter will be five in, <laughs> in about five. two months. Yes. And um, hearing how you've been able to pass down these values, how much it's taking root in them, how much of an effect it's having, uh, encourages me even to, to keep going and to even try to do a better job. That's basically what parenting is all about. Um, thank you very much, ma'am. Yes, please, please do keep at it. Uh, it may seem tough at times, but they're watching. Yeah. They're watching. They may resist, you know, because, okay, she's five, so it's still pretty easy right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, but much later, the teenage age, you know, it may seem difficult, but they're listening. Because, I mean, listening to the men and the women that I have now, consoling me, telling me all the time that distance is not a barrier, that the values are there. Um, I think we can we can stay positive, and your daughter will be good. Well, thank you very much, ma. Um, now delving <laughs> delving into core issues or core finance issues. Um, how did you get started in the part of uh, in finance? What what has your journey been like? When did the spark get lit? And basically, how how have you grown over the years? A couple of things that uh, fuel my passion to teach financial literacy. That's the truth. Uh, despite my professional background, you know, I, I think I picked up real interest in financial literacy and financial education only in 2017. Okay, only in 2017, uh, and it was at the point at which I was um, leaving my last uh, paid job. I was taking my exit from the oil and gas company I'd worked for for 20 years. Okay, um, it was uh, they had an option to. Um, they organized a pre-exit, pre-retirement workshop to enlighten those um, exiting the company uh, to prepare us for life outside paid employment. And we did have some sessions on financial education, and that was uh, when I, you know, had my what I would call my wow moment. Uh, so I, I realized that um, uh, there was more to growing wealth <laughs> than locking up funds in the fixed deposits. You know, uh, there was much more to growing wealth than you know. Uh, seeing an interesting property and going for it. And then I just decided to, you know, I resolved at that stage to start being more intentional with my money. And then I started teaching people around me to do the same. So it's not um, my academic uh, qualification, if you know what I'm trying to explain. Uh, then started, um, you, know, you know, teaching the people around me also to do the same. Of course, my sisters, I started with my sisters, my close friends, my, you know, mentees, the young, young adults that I was pastoring in church. They were the initial community, okay? Mm-hmm. And then with time, you know, some of these people started nudging me to open up and share my experience with more people beyond my inner community, you know? Uh, and then apart from that, uh, you know, moments during the workshop, when I started, you know, getting more conscious about financial education, I then realized that 
the main reason why we have so many financially dependent people, you know, in Nigeria is because of lack of financial education. Okay. If you look at every Nigerian family, you would see that some are doing well and some are just you know, relying, I won't use the word, uh, relying on, on, the, on the others uh, in the family. So I just thought, you know, there must, I need to you know, do more here. So, and then that filled my interest and, and I just, you know, developed this passion to, to make sure that there are, you know, more financially educated people around. And I just started a campaign and the campaign is it must reduce the number of financially dependent people and increase the number of financially independent people. Again, also, you know, like I said, after that wow moment, I became more deliberate and conscious of my own money choices. You know, while I would um, not bother about tax planning or the consequence of maybe uh, taking certain decisions about the assets, I began to be more conscious and then I started teaching people. So if you say, how did the passion develop? I would refer to that wow moment in 2017. And then how that opened my eyes to say this must be the reason why we're having all this, um, so many people uh, who don't understand what they should do to grow their wealth. So now you can correctly say that I'm on a mission to get myself and others to to uh, be more financially fit. I must admit that, that that passion or that drive was one of the things that endeared me to you. Seeing your post on Instagram, um, seeing the workshop that you do for teenagers, that really endeared me to you and was one of the huge reasons why we had to get you onto the show um, this evening. I think you have a summer camp coming up. Is it in a couple of months' time? It's an annual workshop that we started last year for young adults and teenagers. Yes. So this year, is, we have the flyer out for this year's version. I've sent that flyer out to all my nieces and everybody, so expect a huge crowd. Um, by the time that's a uh, program oh, excellent. kicks in. <laughs> okay. Excellent, excellent. I, I want to reiterate a few things that you have said. The first is that financial literacy or financial freedom is not attained by education or by qualification. We've seen a lot of bankers who are dead broke. We've seen a lot of um, you know people who you expect to know these things or to, to, to be financially savvy, yet they still languish in poverty. Also, in, in this part of the world, we've seen a lot of people who get a large amount of money be given to them at retirement. But if that mindset is not there from the beginning, if they don't know how to handle these things, just give them a couple of months or if a year or two, they're almost back to ground zero, which is why financial literacy and uh, what, what we are advocating for today, what we are hoping to teach people, um, is very, very important. We, we don't want them to wait until they are 60, 65 and get their um, retirement bonuses and fall into wrong hands and lose everything that they've worked for over the years. I've seen it happen personally in, in people close to me and it's certainly not pleasant. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how would you describe what financial freedom actually is? Um, for the average Nigerian listening what is financial freedom and is this a dream that is unattainable? Thank you so much. I, I love this question because it's a focus of the financial education campaign that I'm carrying on, okay? Uh, the whole campaign is about how we can all be uh, financially fit uh, to ensure that we all achieve financial freedom. So it's very core to the conversation. 
Uh, financial freedom, I like to define it um, as the status achieved when a person is able to meet his or her current uh, and future needs without being dependent on anyone or on any active job. And I will explain. Um, you're wealthy and financially free when your money begins to work for you and not you working for your money, okay? You know, I said something. I said, when you're able to meet your current and your future needs without being dependent on, on anyone or any active job. So um, there, there are some things then that we need to understand. It is not having a fantastic oil company job today. It's not having, you know, the inheritance or maybe the retirement payoff that you talked about. It is making sure that your, your um, passive income is able to meet your current and your future needs. And you get passive income when you are not actively doing something. Your passive income is earned when you are not undertaking any active job. It is earned when your money is the one doing the work for you. So it's a place that we all need to aspire to get to. In other words, you, if you're an employee and you're making money, you're getting paid salary, um, you must work towards when increasingly, increasingly the, the income from your investments begin to pay for your wants and your needs, your needs and your wants. So if you're able to meet your needs from your paycheck and um, you can't meet your wants or you can only meet it for a short while, you haven't attained financial freedom. Okay, so simply you can say financial freedom is when your passive income exceeds your current and your future expenses. When at any point in time, your passive income can meet your needs and your wants, okay? Yes. And remember I said passive income is income end when you are not undertaking active work. It is income end when your money is working for you. Let me put it that simply. So passive income is income you earn when your money is working for you. Income from your investments in, I like to say, in the, you know, possible, in the three possible markets. So let's look at, say, you know, you have investments in real estate, you have rental income coming from that, you have investments in the capital market, you get dividend income from your shares, and then you have, you know, uh, investments in money markets, and then uh, you can get interest income from maybe investments in treasury bills, bonds, uh, fixed deposits, etc. Okay, so income that you can make by just sitting on the sofa. And then you are wealthy when you can sustain that financial freedom into the future. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not something that people uh, consciously try to understand and work towards. So you see many people waking up and go, getting into the, you know, into the traffic to get to their very fantastic, good, you know, paying jobs. Okay, but they, they, they are doing that for, for now. Not many people are taking deliberate um, decisions or making um, you know, conscious choices to make sure that even if they're in paid employment today, the money from the paid employment is able to power them to financial freedom. In other words, the money from the paid employment is supposed to be able to generate investments for them that would yield income. And then they can decide to say, oh, I don't want to work for one year. I don't want to work for two years or I want to retire at 40 because I have investments that will take care of my needs and my wants into the future. I don't know if that's clear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now for the average Nigerian listening to this who probably has a, a job that barely pays above the minimum wage or, or 
is struggling, basically leaving hand to mouth as things may be at present. This dream of fi- this um, nirvana of financial freedom may look quite unattainable. What would be your advice, or how would you encourage such a person to persist despite all this? Yeah, thank thank you again for asking this question because it's one of the few um, it's one of the few constraints that I face, you know, with the campaign because it's it's um, you know the peculiarity of the um, unemployment uh, you know rate in Nigeria and the poverty that is so prevalent around us. So I get to hear that you know um, so often, and and sometimes they you know you, you get a like a a pushback. People think you're speaking because you're you have the privilege of having opportunities that they don't have. Uh, okay, um, I, I once facilitated in a program, and uh, you know, a gentleman, uh, you know, painfully, you know, painfully, you could hear it in his voice. You know, I won't say he was angry, but I know that he was very pained. And, and he said, "Financial fitness and financial freedom is a marriage." Mm-hmm. Okay, you use the word dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, "Look, this thing is just a marriage. It's a, it's not going to happen. It's not attainable." But what I would, my short reply would be, you know, before I try to explain further, my short reply would be, it will continue to be a marriage or a pipe dream, okay? That's the language you use yes. for anyone who sees it like that, okay? So if, if anyone who cannot open his or her mind to the possibility of living a financially fit life, which will power, you know, the person to the next level, you know, the person will continue to see it that way. If you if you say it's a pipe dream, if you say it's a marriage, then it will continue to be a marriage. But it is not a marriage. It is achievable. Okay? If one is living uh, from paycheck to paycheck today, okay, so there are some people in that, second, in that situation. There are some people, but it doesn't have to be a permanent situation. Um, it doesn't have to be a permanent situation. When I teach people about financial fitness and financial freedom, I talk about three building blocks, okay? Yes. I call it ESI. It's very simple to, you know, put, and if you've been following my page, you would have seen it. It's very simple. Uh, the acronym is so simple to remember. As long as you do these three things very well, and as long as you apply, you know, the ESI model very well, and I'm not talking from a detached position. I'm talking from a position that if I didn't even have the opportunities that I've had in life, and I have this knowledge that I have now, I can do things better. So the three building blocks are for you to have financial fitness and financial freedom and to grow your wealth, you must be able to earn more. Okay. You must be able to save better and you must be able to invest well. So while the minimum pay in Nigeria is, you know, it's very small. Let's not even try to convert it to dollars. It's so small. You know, we do have, I agree with that, but anyone can enlarge their income base. Anyone. Anybody can increase, you know, increase or enlarge his income base by looking out for opportunities to earn more. Okay, uh, not many people think in that direction, and that's what, what I'm trying to. I'm actually trying to take this financial literacy campaign to the grassroots to begin to explain to people that if you're if you're if you're trading in this area today, consider trading in another area. Look for opportunities to earn more. Okay, people don't think in that direction. And so financial fitness requires that you begin to make better money choices. And over time, you take control of your money. So the person that is looking at it and is saying, okay, you keep telling me to budget, and I budgeted at the beginning of the year, uh, the exchange rate was this when I did my budget, I plan to buy a car, and then I can't buy a car anymore, and then you're just so sad and angry. The person should look back and look at and say, if I did not even have a budget, 
would have been worse. But if I had a budget at the beginning of the year and the exchange rate changed and inflation picked up and everything, I'm able to look, I'm able to, you know, to look and to see where things can be changed and better managed. So I think um, I, I would just say that the short reply to that is that it is not a pipe dream, it is not a marriage. People can do things better. If you're living from paycheck to paycheck today, it doesn't have to continue that way. It's not a permanent situation, okay? That's how I see it. The whole essence of working as financial fitness is to make sure that you take, um, uh, you pay more deliberate and conscious attention to things. You begin to do things differently so that you can improve your financial circumstances. So if you say to the, if you say it's a marriage and it's a, it's a dream, it's not it's nothing. There's nothing to it. Then you don't take the actions that you should take to do things better. That's how I see it. I don't know if you understand, you know, what absolutely I'm crystal clear, crystal clear, man. Um, thank you very much for that. You've talked about the tripod which we can build our financial freedom or financial lives on, which is which is the ESI, and you've talked about the E, which is try to increase your capacity to earn. That might involve maybe getting another qualification, building some competence, or or learning a new skill. But it's very important. Thank you very much for for highlighting that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, looking at the second leg, which is savings, you've touched on budgeting, but can you just share some practical skills that you've found to be helpful over the years that can help the average Nigerian save more and to be more conscious about um, you know, building a stockpile that can be deployed in the last leg of the tripod? There are three things that um, I like to use in teaching people to, to help them save better. Um, the first one I always say to people is, you know, have a target, a financial target, and have a plan to, to, that you would use to achieve this target. And then work with a budget. It's not a complicated thing. Work with a budget, budget and then track your expenses. Well, if you apply those three simple things, there's no way you will not see room for improvement and you will not see where you're, you know, you're having your financial pressures. Okay, so if you have a target, you know where you're going to, you know what you want to achieve. I mean, if you if you have a financial target to move out of a tenanted apartment at a particular period, uh, if somebody comes and says, please finance my, 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 my wedding or finance my, I want to change my car, you already have your financial target and your priorities. So you're going to say to that person, I don't have room to help you with it. I'm not saying don't help people. I'm just giving this analogy yes. to say, if you have a focus on where you want to direct your own money to, then you're not uh, going to be open to unnecessary things, you know? Now, have a financial target and a plan to work towards this, okay? When you have a financial goal, you know what you want to achieve, you have a plan to want to achieve that, it will guide your choices and then it will force you towards, you know, how you apply your money. The other thing is, um, you know, I said three things. I said the financial target, the budget, and the tracking. The other one that is very effective in helping people um, save and, I'm, you know, the, of course, there are other things. Some people say to you, make and have automated uh, instructions to your banks and all of that. But these three are very core. Because if you don't have a budget, if you don't work with a budget, then you're not able to keep an eye on what you're earning and what you expect to spend. But if you do apply a budget, it is very, very effective in helping people uh, achieve their saving goals, okay? So your budget to capture your expected income and, you know, the expenses for, you know, your related expenses for a specific period of time. And then with the budget, you're able to allocate your, this income you're expecting to different boxes. 
And a lot of time you use the same budget to check how you have performed. Okay, so if you use the budget very well, you'll be able to see your areas of pressure. You'll be able to see, is it a short bid that was too, too, too much in this period? Is it uh, eating out that was too much? Is it data cost? Is it entertainment cost? Okay, so these are simple things. I'm just using very simple analogies. And then you'll be able to channel and, you know, you know uh, adjust and create cash. And then even if you do apply what we call the 50, 30, 20 uh, budgeting rule, you are even forcing into the budget already a little window for savings, okay? Yes. Because the 50, uh, 30, 20 says that uh, you, you, know, you apply 50% of your budget to, to your needs, 30% uh, to your wants, and then 20% to your savings, which eventually becomes your, your investment. And then the tracking, the tracking helps you to put, keep an eye on how you spend. You know, you already have a budget. If you don't track, if you don't know where the last dollar or naira went to, the probability is that you also won't know where the coming naira or dollar will, will go to. I keep saying to people that um, uh, they say the devil finds work for idle hands. I say the devil also finds work for idle naira and idle dollar. Okay? Yes. So that's how I see it. Uh, you know, some people may say they don't want to save, you know, because of inflation, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't save, if you don't, you are worse off if you do nothing. Okay? Now, what's up if you do nothing? There was breaking news I saw online earlier on today, or was it yesterday, that the inflation rate in Nigeria is now 17.71. So if you don't do anything, your liquid funds will lose 17.71 of the value at any point, in, you know, um, going by the current inflation. Whereas if you put your money into savings, no matter how simple, I mean, how little the rate is, you can deflate the impact of that inflation. And remember also, nobody can wake up and say, take the whole of my salary for this month, I want to invest it. So you have to build up savings little by little over time, then have a pot, you know, a pot and have some funds and say, okay, now I have this uh, size of funds and I want to invest it. Nobody can invest without building up savings. That's the point I'm trying to bring out. I don't know if that answered your question. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, thank you very much. You've shared some of the very common excuses that people sometimes give as to why they cannot um, you know save or why they why they find it difficult to to carve out money even for for their futures um thank you very much for that you you also talked a little bit about this um the formula for budgeting like um 50 30 and 20 okay the 50 30 20 budgeting rule yeah yes yeah. can you can you just highlight a little bit you talked about 50% for one's needs 30% for one's wants. For somebody listening, they, they might be a little bit confused. They might not be able to differentiate confused. Yes, between the needs and between the wants. The, so the needs are the necessities, okay? The things that you, you need to keep alive. Why the wants are the, I call it the luxuries. Your vacation, for example, going on a vacation for some people, uh, it may be, if your job if your job is, I'm sure that at any level it's, it's, a, it's a want because you can survive without a vacation. But you cannot survive without food, and you cannot survive without uh, good health care. Uh, you can survive if you don't have a good roof over your head. So 50% of that should go to your core needs, and then 30% uh, to your wants, all right? Of course, between if you look at somebody who is financially educated and who has a um, uh, you know, good understanding, the 30% may, the, the person may decide to do 50% to my needs and my wants, and then 50% to my savings and investing. So it depends on you, but the rule is 50%. Just Let's just say a young graduate now wants to begin to build up his savings. Then we say 50% of whatever you're earning, put it to your care, your body care, you know, to take care of your life. 
And then um, to make sure that you are good, the things that are essential, let me put it at that, what's essential for you to keep for life? While um, the 30% is not essential, it's just luxuries. This is something I want. I just want to, I want to change my phone. I want to buy a new car. You know, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, having uh, having uh, the cheapest shoes to move around, you can consider that as a need. But when you now want to have uh, what are the, you want to have a Gucci shoe, you want to have a designer shoe, that's a want. Okay. Thank, thank you very, very much, man. Um, now, talking about the last leg, which is the investing, I, I know you've talked about the three various markets, the real estate markets, the capital markets, and then the equity markets. Um, do you just want to highlight the money market? The, the money market sorry. Um, do you just want to highlight a little bit of um, probably some advantages, disadvantages of each of all these classes and how uh, people should think about them? Okay. Um, I think um, before you can position yourself for any of the markets, uh, it also depends on your stage in life. You know what I mean? Yes. A, a young uh, graduate who does not have inheritance uh, handed down to him or her may not be able to go into the real estate <clears throat> market right away. Okay, so each has its own benefits. Uh, your, the liquidity requirements, um, depending on your stage of life also, uh, would mean that um, you invest, depending on how much uh, cash you want in a period of time, would mean that you invest, for example, in uh, maybe fixed income where you can quickly have access to your to your funds. So it's not it's a function of having a robust portfolio depending on what your financial targets are and depending on your stage of life. So uh, I won't say that um, one has more one advantage over the other because each one has its own um, risk, if you know what I mean. Yes. yes. Uh, so whilst the, the you know everybody is rejoicing now in Nigeria, those that invested in the MTN shares in, in December, while everybody's happy, it also has its own risk, okay? So we won't say that because the capital market was good for those that purchased MTN shares that they are better off than those that uh, someone has done to put down payment for a property um, in some choice or part of, uh, of Lagos. So it's just, um, it depends on your own uh, your circumstances. That's what would you know determine how you you have a mix of your portfolio, what you put into um, the capital market, what you put into the money market, and what you put into the real estate market. But anybody who has the opportunity to have you know funds, you know must um, think of those three markets. Okay, uh, the way I see it is, um, if you're trying to build up your portfolio, you have to have an understanding that there's a possibility to invest in those three markets so that you can have a well-diversified um, portfolio. Um, the advantage, if maybe, maybe you may be right that uh, there's an advantage over the other because um, a, a young person who does not have um, uh, so much funds and who is just starting off would be able to access the capital market and the fixed income market better. And faster because, for example, um, you can, if you're in Nigeria and you want to invest in the federal government of Nigeria savings bonds, with 5,000 naira, you can. Yes. And then you can continue to increase your, your, your investment in multiples of 1,000. You can also access mutual, mutual funds with 10,000 naira. 
So indeed, maybe, and then you can also even open a stockbroking account, you know, with a broker and then put in some money. So for low-income earners, perhaps you would say um, there's an advantage in the capital markets and the money market over real estate. Thank you very, very much, Ma. Um, now, as we just begin to wrap things up, um, if, if you were able or if you were to leave the retail investors or the average Nigerian listening with one or two messages, one or two take-home messages, what would those be? <laughs> I thank you because you, I think you mentioned Nigeria. So for that, uh, we've seen an influx of uh, deceitful uh, investment opportunities in, in the past uh, uh, few years. So I think I would like to uh, say to your listeners, um, I think what comes to my mind is the Japanese proverb that says uh, money grows on the tree of patience, okay? So I'd like to advise investors to stay focused and approach their, you know, their desire to grow wealth with patience, okay? Um, there's what I call, uh, they should shun the microwave desire, desire to get rich. Uh, and most importantly, I think people must learn to work with, with professionals. And, you know, uh, sometimes they think there's some fee attached to it, but if you do have a sizable amount of money to invest, you may be better off, um, you know, getting good uh, professionals here rather than falling into the hands of scammers and, and Ponzi schemes. So uh, maybe I'll just say to your listeners, uh, be patient. Um, and I also like to say to people, if you don't understand, don't invest. Uh, I think also because there are people from diverse backgrounds that will listen to this at some point in time, I also like to say to everyone that nobody is excluded from achieving financial freedom. Nobody is excluded from achieving financial fitness. I know you asked that question earlier, yes, um, yes. but I like to say to, to uh, I want to reiterate that everybody is able to achieve financial fitness and achieve financial freedom. It's just a matter of being conscious and deliberate about it. Uh, we can all be richer. We can all do things better. And one can always move from the level of paycheck to paycheck uh, by just doing things differently. You just have to be conscious. That's all. Thank you very much, Ma. Uh, the proverb that you shared is really powerful and it drives home the message for me personally. Money grows on the tree of patience. Um, of patience, yes. Now, somebody listening to this might want to get in touch with you or might want to read more or watch videos about maybe from past sessions that you've had. How can they do this? Yes. Um, so we have a YouTube channel. So the YouTube channel, we have a recording of our past sessions and past conversations on the YouTube channel. It's um, Finance Coach BK. Uh, on Instagram, it's Finance Coach Today. On Twitter, it's Finance Coach uh, today but on facebook we are finance coach money and wealth so we are quite uh, there's so many platforms online where we you know we can all work together to make sure that they are more financially uh, free people perfect um i'll 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 leave links to all these um, pages in the description of the episode so anybody listening can just check the description and hopefully should be able to quickly um, use those links to access any of all those pages Thank you very much, Ma. It's been a pleasure having you on the show this today. Uh, thank you very much for taking out of your very busy schedule to, to join us and share 
um, lessons from your experience and from your years of um, preaching this message. And I do hope that um, it reaches all the four corners of um, beyond Nigeria, for the four corners of Africa, and hopefully we can deliver this continent from uh, the grips of poverty. Absolutely. That's the agenda. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to um, be on your show, and um, I must also commend you for the work you're doing. Uh, well, it's the same agenda. We want to get people empowered. Whichever way we, we push it forward, uh, let's just keep working. Somehow, good will come out of it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. A. Thank you very, very much, Ma. Do have a lovely evening ahead. <laughs> <laughs>